this together. This is called Waymaker.
prayed over us this morning. God, we're so thankful for each and every person who's in this room. Uh, God, that they've come to be with you and that they've come to be with each other. And God, I pray that this morning as you speak to us every word, uh, that we would just have open hearts to hear what you have to say, God, that we would look at ourselves in our own lives and, and realize that there's things about us that need to change that we need to be more like you, and I pray that you would show us those things and that we would have a, an obedient heart. And God, I pray that uh, as there's people who are struggling with uh, their own situations, I pray that, God, that you would comfort them if they need comfort, and you would be what they need this morning, and uh, that we as your church would reach out to them and help them through what they're going through. God, we're so thankful that you gave your life on the cross for us so that we can be saved. We're thankful for... Uh, for our salvation, what you're doing in our lives and in this church. God, I pray that you would speak to us clearly this morning and um, that your voice would be the last one here. In Jesus' name I pray. Three to fifth grade, if ain't already gone. If you're here, open your Bible to Leviticus 23 and Joshua chapter 3. My wife's getting my notes for me because I run off from back there and got them. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about next week. Next Sunday afternoon is our our fall fellowship. It'll be, I think, at 4 o'clock. Uh, a couple of things. We, we're having the little old obstacle race or whatever you want to call it sign up if you need two people to, to run the race and uh the winners get leona's steakhouse um what do you call them gift certificates anyhow i don't know how many teams we got we got a handful of teams but we need a handful more teams if you want to sign up for that second thing is we're doing this little cook-off deal uh and the dessert cooking contest Miss Renee's taking the sign-ups for that. I think we only got like three or four dessert deal. Look, women and men, just cook you a dessert and, and put your name in the hat. And if your dessert don't win, we'll eat it anyway. But <laughs> this is not fun unless everybody gets involved, okay? So get involved. Uh, either cook a dessert, run a race, or or cook a brisket or something like that, and that way everybody enjoys it. But if only one person cooks a brisket and one person buys some cookies from Walmart, we're in a bind, okay? All right, looking in Leviticus 23. Got that? All right. Thank you. I'm good. I'm good. Let me get to where I'm going. This is a crazy church to pastor. That's the opening statement of my message. <laughs> it seems like we'll have Sundays where it's like packed house, and then all of a sudden you show up on a Sunday, and it's like, it's almost like they get together, send everybody a text, and go, let's just skip this Sunday. It's not like one or two people miss. It's like a whole group goes on a trip or something like that. So, anyhow. I guess that's just the way it goes. Leviticus chapter 23. All right, a few weeks ago, several weeks ago, started into looking at the feast day calendar that's in Leviticus 23. Eventually, I'm going to get to the reason why I believe it's highly possible that the Lord returns somewhere around the year 2030. I'm not date naming. I'm time season naming. And we'll start into that part of it next week because the, the feast day calendar or the feast days are God's calendar, and uh, he gives you a lot of things in there that let you know what's going on if you'll pay attention to it. We've covered the feast of Passover, which was when Christ was crucified. He fulfilled that uh, feast day, and then we've covered the feast of unleavened bread, which began on the following day that he was crucified. 
and is a picture of his death and burial, okay? So now we're only to the third feast day, which is going to be the Feast of First Fruits, which actually begins the day after the Sabbath, which would have been on Sunday, which would have been the day that the Lord resurrected. So Jesus fulfills each one of these spring feast days on the exact day that he said in Leviticus, you know, some 1,500 years prior to this, every one of these feast days gives us uh, an evidence of, I guess you'd use the word, an evidence of Christ's first coming, okay? Then when we get into the fall feast days, which we'll start that next week, we get into the prophecies of his second coming and what he taught us through that. But today, <clears throat> I'll just be honest with you, I've really been for two weeks now, wrestling with this message and it seems like the devil is just really trying to uh, keep something from happening here so maybe this message is just for me but hopefully it's for somebody else looking in Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 9 it says and the Lord spoke to Moses saying speak to the children of Israel and say to them when you come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest then you shall bring a sheaf or a bundle of first fruits of your harvest to the priest and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf on the day after the Sabbath. The priest shall wave it, and you shall offer on that day when you wave, uh, when you wave the sheaf a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma, and its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hen. You shall eat neither, notice what it says here, you shall, you shall eat neither bread nor parched grain for fresh grain until the same day that you have brought forth an offering to your God. It shall be a statue forever throughout all your generations and your dwellings. And so the Lord gives the guidelines for how to basically celebrate or worship and to be a part of, to acknowledge, and, and uh, to go about this feast day of first fruits. <clears throat> and, and what I want to do is I want to kind of go back into, uh, if you want to turn there, Joshua chapter uh, chapter 3. Because when he says, talk to Israel and tell them when you come into the land. Okay, this When he gave Leviticus, it was prior to their entry into the promised land. And they were not to celebrate this feast day until they came into the land. So I want to look and see how that ties into where he's talking about here. Because there's so much that God's word reveals to this. Now, <clears throat> remember on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Jesus is in the grave. I know some of you hadn't been there, so I probably already lost you. But stay with me because I'll bring you up. On the Feast of Unleavened Bread, he fulfilled it by being in the grave. And so Jesus is in the grave. Now on the Feast of First Fruits, this is a picture of the resurrection of Jesus in which he fulfilled on that exact day. So you go back into Joshua chapter 3. Now you remember that the people in the first generation when they came out of Egypt, a picture of slavery to sin. God delivered them from Egypt. He leads them through the wilderness for a time period there. He brings the first generation up to the Jordan. Okay, By faith, they were to cross over Jordan and go into this land that he had promised Abraham, their, their forefathers, basically. Okay, And so he brings this generation up. He had already shown them all these wonders, all these miracles, all these signs. He showed them who he was, that he would provide for them, that he would protect them. And he brings them there. And Moses sends 12 spies, one from each tribe, into this land. Okay, They come back, and the land, the land that they're talking about, the promised land, is called a good land. It's called the land of milk and honey. When the when the uh, spies came back, they said, surely it is the land of, it's a good land, it's a land of milk and honey. And they brought back these big clusters of fruit. They brought, uh, it was the time of year where they brought back big cluster of grapes and pomegranates and figs. And it said, the land is a fruitful land. It's got all this good stuff. And the Lord has given us this land. And you remember the story in Numbers that there were uh, two, two of the spies, Caleb and Joshua, gave that. And all of, all of them agreed, oh, it's good land, it's great, it's awesome. It's just exactly what God said and what he promised. But, but there's giants in the land. There's enemies in the land, far greater than us, bigger than us, man, just the sons of Anoth, they were giant people, okay? And there's no way we're going to be able to get this land. You know the story, for time's sake, uh, they, they rebelled against God. They didn't trust him by faith. And so the Lord said, fine, turn out and go out into the wilderness. Now, he didn't forsake them. 
He led them into the wilderness and he led them for the next 40 years and he took care of them in the wilderness. And the wilderness, was remember, it was dry and difficult and parched land. It was nothing like the land of promise. But they didn't enter into it. And God, who is a God of so many chances, when everybody in that generation above the age of 20 died off, then he brings a new generation in his promises, because here's the thing, God made that promise to Abraham and to his seed, his children, his grandchildren. God keeps his promises, okay? And whatever he's got to do. And so he brings this next generation up, and this is the one he's talking to here with Joshua. And they're camped on this side of the Jordan. All of them, whether it was three to, three to six million estimated people are camped on this side of the Jordan, on this side of the land. And Joshua's giving them instruction how they're going to go about coming into this land of promise, okay? So maybe in your past, God's given you an opportunity in your life that you knew it was his will and his purpose and that you basically didn't trust him and you turned and you walked away. God didn't walk away from you. And God can't, well, here's the thing. God can let some things die in our lives. Why it's important that when God gives you an opportunity, you take that opportunity. But God can also give us chances and maybe he's bringing you back to a place today. To where he wants you to move forward in faith and what he has for your life. If you're here and you say, I've never repented and trusted in Jesus as my Savior. I've never been born again. I'm just kind of fishing this out. And maybe times before you've heard the message of the gospel and God's spirit dealt with you and convicted you because he wants to save you. Okay, that's a picture of what the promised land is. A promised land is a picture of a good, fruitful life. That a believer has when he's born again and he enters into the promised land of faith. And I'm here to tell you, and here's the thing. I think there are some believers who are camped out on the other side. You choose to live in the wilderness of the world. You don't believe God. You don't trust God. You got hang-ups with giants and, and complications and things that you don't have control of. So you would rather live over here in a dry, desolate, parched land and a life and you don't know what the big deal is. The big deal, the big deal is, it's good over here. And when you're living with the Lord and walking by faith and trusting in your life, it's, I can't explain to you. And yes, there's enemies in the land and there's battles to face, but it's good. It's really good. And God is really good. And so my, my hope for you this morning is if you got something that's blocking you or keeping you from that and God's giving you another calling or another chance that you trust the Lord. Don't worry about the difficulties and the obstacles you might see, God's already got a victory planned out for you. And so in that, Joshua was speaking to this group of people right before they go in. That's the setting. Chapter 3, verse 1 said, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from the Acacia Grove, and they came to Jordan. He and all the children of Israel, they lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way which by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord, I love this right here, the Lord will do wonders among you. And then Joshua spoke to the priest saying, take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. And so what you see here, that word wonders means miraculous. It means something beyond our power or our capability to accomplish. And God's still doing wonders. And I I believe absolutely the greatest wonder God accomplishes is when he takes a person who is dead in their trespasses and sin, a person who is lost and condemned because they're a sinner, and he leads them by his grace and transforms their life from being dead to being made alive again. That has happened in this setting so many times, and it happens in all kinds of settings. But here's the awesome thing. Think about a wonder we... We oftentimes think about healings and 
and different things physical. And those are miracles and wonders, and God still does those. That's why we pray. You know, and I believe with all my heart that God, God, and I've seen God do that. I've seen God heal people, and I've seen God do miracles that was beyond our capability or our, our able to, to accomplish things. I've seen God transform families and marriage, and I've seen God take wretched people who loved sin, I'm one of them, who lived in sin, who chased after sin, and to, and to basically go in and pull out that old dead sinful heart heart and put in a new heart in you where you go, I don't desire to live that way anymore. I don't desire the things of sin in my life. And I see a whole new thing. That's a transformation that takes place that is beyond our capability. It takes a miracle. And so here's the awesome thing that, that you see that, that ties into the feast of first fruits here. And it also ties into a lot of other things in the scripture. <clears throat> but, but here they are. And this is the time of year, let me say, where the Jordan River was out of its banks. It was flooded. You know, last year when we got all that rain, if you drove over the Trinity River, now, you know, you can just about jump across the Trinity River. But if you were in the spring when we got all those rains, it was just, it looked like a huge lake. It was out of its banks and it was spread out everywhere, okay? So the Jordan would have been a good time to go bow fishing, right? Any of y'all know anything about that? Most of you don't, obviously. <clears throat> but, so it was out of its banks. It was really rolling, dangerous, Okay. And so when those people are looking at the Lord's like, you're fixing to cross over. Now, if you was a redneck, you'd look at that and go, we ain't got no boat. Ain't no trees big enough here for us to cut down float. And we got a whole lot of folks, including little kids here. How are we fixing to go over something that is impossible for us to accomplish or pass? And that's why Josh said, oh, get ready. Get ready because God's fixing to do something amazing. God's fixing to do something that you couldn't do. <clears throat> now, the Jordan... The Jordan signifies death. Okay, the word, the word Jordan in the Hebrew means to descend down into. You know, it actually, if you look at the Jordan River, it began up at the Sea of Galilee, but it descended down into the Dead Sea. And so in the scripture, the Jordan River signifies death. Now, <clears throat> here's the thing. Being in that, also I gotta say this, that the Ark of the Covenant, I gotta cover a whole lot of deep stuff this morning in real quick time. The Ark of the Covenant, okay, y'all remember, most everybody here, was was the little, is like basically like the size of a cedar chest, okay? A whole lot of stuff I can't get into this morning. But anyhow, they would carry it on poles. They would they had rings on it. It was it was layered in gold. Very important that you get this, that the that the the top part of it, okay, the bottom part was built out of acacia wood and layered in gold inside and out. But the top part was pure gold. Okay, inside the chest was Aaron's rod that budded, represents something that was dead and alive again. The, the, the tablets of the law, Christ is the one who kept the law and fulfilled it. And the, uh, uh, the manna, a bowl of manna from heaven. And Jesus said in John chapter 6, I am the manna, I am the bread of life. So everything about this Ark of the Covenant signified the work of Jesus. It signifies the gospel, okay? And they carried the gospel, okay? And so everything about it, and say, so what does it have to do with the pure gold? Okay, the pure gold part was where they where they would go in. I'm going to cover this a couple of weeks, so bear with me. Every year, once on the, on the Day of Atonement, on the Feast of Atonement, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, place where nobody else can enter, and he can only enter in once a year. He had to have the blood. He would offer up blood for himself, but he would offer up blood for the people, the shed blood of a lamb. Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God, okay? So he would take this blood, and while he was walking in, all the people would be gathered outside. This was the time where they dealt with their sin and their standing with the Lord. And the Bible says they would be outside afflicting their souls. They would be in repentance for their sin for that time, that year, their past sins. A lot of things changed. But here's the thing. The high priest would go in, and he would offer up on that pure gold what was called a mercy seat. He would sprinkle the blood of, a, of an innocent lamb upon that mercy seat, okay? The wood on the bottom signified the man, the, the manhood of Jesus and the deity of Jesus. But on the top, there was no part of man involved in salvation. It was between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so the high priest would, would sprinkle the blood of a lamb uh, on the mercy seat. And the people would be forgiven. Because of that blood. And they would be outside. And I want you to get this. They would be outside afflicting their souls in repentance for their sin. And God said, if there was, if you were outside and you wasn't in repentance, you just kind of standing around like some people do. Worship. He was like, you'll be cut off from the people. You understand? <clears throat> but 
And so here's the thing, it represents, it signifies Jesus. I want you to get this picture, you don't get nothing outside of this message. Here's these people looking at something, an impossibility that signifies death. It was a sure death if they tried to cross themselves, impossible. And here goes the, the priest carrying Jesus, what picture Jesus, and, and the Lord said, keep a space in between you, why? Because this has nothing to do with you, I'm sorry. But the Lord's going before you to make a way through what you can't make a way. To accomplish what you can't accomplish. And if you need mercy, you understand. Man, I need it. Anyhow, so they, so basically the people just sit back and watch. Like they would have at the cross, they just sit there and watched. While he made a way. And so get this, so when the priests go... And they're walking, all the people rise up, and they're doing what? They're looking with a hope. They're looking with faith. And the priests carry the, and I won't read it for time's sake, but the priests carry the Ark of the Covenant. And it says when they put their feet in the water, that the, get this, don't miss this, that the river stopped and it started to stand up and go back. And it said in so much that it went back all the way to the city of Adam. Man, don't miss this picture. It's a picture of Jesus entering into the Jordan, the river of death. And they walked out and the priests stood. They didn't just cross over and go, okay, good luck. Hope you're good enough to make it. Hope you can cross the river. The Lord showed you how. He wasn't our example. I mean, he was our example. But it wasn't just he set an example. He opened a route, one route, one way that they could cross death and be raised up into a life. And so, the, I'm sorry, y'all. And so the people watched what they what he accomplished. Thank you. Watched what he accomplished. And so when he goes in and he reaches back, not just to New Testament believers, but he reaches back all the way to Adam to make a way, to buy. And so here's the thing. So they go in and the river stands up and the people... Here, here's their part. Say, okay, what do they have to do with it? Same thing I have to do with it. I see Jesus has made a way for me to pass from death unto life. To be forgiven and washed and, and pass through. And that is the, the, the cross of Jesus Christ. I recognize that. And, and what did Joshua say? When you see that, you follow. Faith means I see Jesus and I go to him and I follow in his way. Okay. Remember we talked about a couple of Sundays ago, you're baptized into his death spiritually and that he's raised you to life. That's what he's teaching us here at the Jordan. Okay. And another thing I got to tell you this this morning, it's not a coincidence that when Jesus came, where was he baptized? In the Jordan. He entered. This was a picture of what was going to take place almost 2,000 years later when Jesus walked into the Jordan and John the Baptist baptized him in the same river. And so he goes, the, the people, start, what do they do? They descend down into what? His death. And they pass through and they come up on the other side into the land. I want to make a point here. A land that was promised to them and a land that they still possess. And a land that they will always possess that he made a way for them to enter in. Okay. They didn't do anything. All they did was walk and follow in the way that was made for them by God's grace and his power and his goodness, okay? And, and anyhow, I can't go into that story a whole lot more. And so what you see there is the exact same thing that Jesus was preaching uh, later in John chapter 5 when Jesus came. Remember what he said, John five twenty four: He that hears my words and believes on him that sent me has, present tense, everlasting life. And will not come into condemnation or judgment, but he has done what? He has passed from death unto life. It's a picture of the resurrection. Now, when they got into that land, they were to do what? <clears throat> there was a couple of things that took place. They were to, let's see how I want to do this. Let me back up. I want to cover the Feast of First Fruits real quick, and then we'll finish up, okay? So what this is a picture of the feast. If you go back to Leviticus, the feast of first fruits, when they come into the land, think about this. They went into the land. They conquered the enemies. We'll cover that in just a second. And then they were to do what? Sow seed. Now, for a little bit there, what did they do? They ate off of what was there. Okay? Because what was already planted, God provided. But then they had to do what? Sow their own seed. 
in order that they would reap a harvest. So that time of year was, I believe, the barley. And so they would do what? They would sow that seed. And when they got their first one and the tabernacle was set up at that time, the priest and all the way that they were worshiped, they would go out and what came through the ground, they would cut it and they would get what was called a sheaf, a bundle. They would take it to and and for their behalf, before, before they ever partook of their own what they grew, they made an offering to the Lord. A lot of, a lot of stuff in this. They would give it to the priest. Represents Jesus, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that he was the first fruits from the grave. Awesome thing that as I study this week, the word first fruits means there's more to come. That means God's going, let me give you a picture of the promise that I've made to you. Not to just to Israel to come in, to the, to the new covenant believers that I have a land for you. Remember what it said when it's talking about uh, Abraham and all those before them in, in Hebrews chapter 11 said they looked for a city. They looked for a land whose builder and maker is God. That's talking to us. If you're a born again believer, God said, let me show you a little bit of glimpse of what's going to take place. So when Jesus rose from the grave, you remember not only he rose, but he rose up the Old Testament a lot of, not all of, but a large number of saints that rose from the grave when Jesus rose from the grave called the first fruits. And so in that, what he's saying is there's more to come. What does this have to do with prophecy? Because in the fall feast, that's what it's talking about is the resurrection and rapture of the saints. One day, okay, I'm not worried about my Jordan of death. You know why? Because I've already passed over. The Bible says when you believe, you are seated in heavenly places. You were baptized into his death. You've been raised to life. And so the, the true person inside of you, the spirit inside of you, trusting in Jesus, not what you accomplish, not what you feel, not what you go through emotionally, but because of what he's promised and accomplished already, when he spoke over you, it was done. You remember in John chapter 15 where he's speaking to the disciples about abiding in the vine. And what did he say to them? Now you are clean through the word I have spoken. It's not your actions. You know, we baptized Miss Janet and Miss Nicole this morning. That's not their salvation. It's simply a picture, just like this was a picture with Joshua. That's a picture of something God's already accomplished. They were baptized by the Lord into his death, raised to life. That's a spiritual baptism, a spiritual resurrection that has taken place already in their life. Ephesians chapter 2 said, and they are seated positionally, unmovably in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So when they die, when you as a believer die, you ain't gonna be, number one, you ain't got to be scared to death. There's some people who are just scared to death. But as a believer, you don't have to fear death. Why? Man, I don't know what it's going to be like when you die. Well, you, I, I got my own thoughts. I won't share with you, but I believe, what about this? What if we just look at the scripture and go, is it possible when you die, all of a sudden you see a way opening up? And the Lord's like, come on. Come on. I, come on. I already got, this is the place you've been. Positionally, now possess it. Come into what I've already given you. Wouldn't that be awesome? And I'll probably be like, why do I worry about it all those years? To see the Lord. He's like, I've already, I told you I had a place for you. I told you I, I had a house for you. I told you I've got an inheritance for you. I accomplished all that for you. Why'd you worry about all those years? Why'd you, why'd you just do everything you could do? You took all the pills and you did all this stuff. And I ain't saying it's not that you should take care of yourself. But I'm saying to fear it as a believer, that's of the devil. Bible doesn't, the Lord said he doesn't give us a spirit of fear. And so here's the thing. I got to finish this real quick. I'm good. I'm good on time. So, so they would bring the sheaf. Okay. Now remember that sheaf represents the resurrected savior. Each person had their sheaf. Each person had their, their heart. So they would bring it and they would give it to the priest. And notice what it says in Leviticus 23. And basically, you know, basically here's what I believe to the priest would wave it before the Lord. He, this was, this was what that person was offering. They're offering the sheaf and it said what? And it will be, you will be accepted on that behalf. Faith is, I, I'm offering up the resurrected Savior on my, my behalf. I'm lifting up Jesus. That's my hope. <laughs> you know, I was back there this morning and I was praying after I did the baptism. And I prayed, I said, Lord, I don't come to you this morning. Because I'm good, because I have anything to offer. I have zero to offer you, God. But I do offer you the righteousness of Christ. 
I do offer you, I wave before you this morning, Lord, what Christ has done for me. And that his righteousness is my righteousness. That's why I preach. And that's what my hope is in. And that's what that represented when he was waving that before the Lord. Now, let me give you some things to apply real quick. I got about five minutes and you can go. Number one, look at the three things. I'm going to give you three things that it takes to have that life. The first thing is you got to face death. They had to face death. They had to cross over. And what I mean by that is, number one, you have to die to your sinful man. Being born again is not about cleaning you up. It's not about churching you up or doing religious things to add to it. It means I have to die. That's why it's so difficult. Amen? Some people are like, well, salvation means Jesus did everything. All I got to do is not listen to me. The hardest thing there is to do is for you to die to your self-righteousness. For you to admit, I am a wicked, godless enemy of God in my nature. I'm a sinner and I am doomed to a devil's hell and rightly so. If you have never come to that point, you are not saved. You are not okay. Well, you know, when I was a kid, I did this. I don't care what you did. If you did not come to the knowledge of sin to go according to God, according to his word, I'm a wicked sinner. I'm going to die physically. And if something don't happen, I'm going to die spiritually. And I will be in hell with Hitler, with Stalin, with half of the U.S. Congress. I won't name names. I'm not judging. With all these, with, with, with people who have murdered, murderers, rapists, child molesters, all these wicked, wicked people. You're telling me that I, in the eyes of the Lord, am guilty like they are. And I'm going to go to hell with them. What if I went to church? I was raised in the right home, da, da, da. You see what you're doing? You're trying to prop up a dead man. You've got to come to the place where you die to yourself and go, God, I agree with your word. I'm dead guilty and I deserve your judgment. I'm not asking for justice. I'm asking for mercy. I'm asking for mercy. You have to face death. You know, once you're saved, there's a couple other things we got to do. The Bible says we got to crucify our old man. That means I got to die to my image. You know why a lot of people aren't living the life that God has for them that's so good? Living in the land of milk and honey, living in the fruitful lands, because they got an image to uphold. They don't want the image of Christ. You know, uh, Paul said in Colossians chapter three, "Put on Christ, put on His image. Let the God Spirit inside of you produce the fruit that He wants to produce through you." No, no, no I don't want to do that. I don't want to look like Jesus. I don't want to live like Jesus. I just don't want to go to hell. So I'm basically going to have hell on earth my whole life because I want my image. I want people to see me in a certain way. God don't want people to see me. He wants people to see his son. And we have to die also to living for ourselves. Very difficult. Remember what Jesus said? If any man come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. As a believer, every morning there's a cross waiting by your bed. Some of us get up and we look at it and go, not today. Most days. Amen. And God calls us to go, today I will die to myself. I will not live for self-gratification. I will not live for self-exaltation. I will not live for, for what I want out of life and how I think everybody ought to view me and see me and treat me. A cross is an instrument of death. I will die to living for myself. I will die to pursuing everything that makes me happy. I will die to trying to gratify my flesh and I'm going to let Christ live through me to accomplish whatever he wants to for his glory today. So the first thing you have to do is face death. Second thing is you have to face your battles. You know, once you cross over, then the work begins. Amen. And here's the thing what I mean by that. Remember when they crossed over, they saw all of that. You remember that the Lord told them, put you a, basically a pile of rocks here so you can come back to this and go, I remember the Lord did a wonder in my life. Because he knew they faced Jericho, a fortified city where the enemy dwelt. And if you know the story, when they, when they, when they faced their first battle, they didn't do no fighting. All they did was walk around following that Ark of the Covenant day after day in faith and doing what God said and He destroyed the city. 
You have to face your battles. And the modern day Christian wants to make peace with the enemy. You've got enemies who are dwelling on your land, eating your food, drinking from wells that are meant for you. That means, what do you say say about that? God has a good life, a great purpose, and all of these things that he has for your life that you have surrendered to the enemy in the way of going, I read it this week. Nobody here wrote this. If you agreed with it, you'll probably get mad here in just a second. But I read this on Facebook this week. Somebody went in with I'm a Christian. I'm not a good one. I cuss. I drink. I do this and do that. But I love God. I'm like, really? It's like me saying, I'm a husband. I'm not a good one. I'm running around with my wife. I slap her around. But you know what? I love her and you can't judge me. I'm going to be like, well, I probably could. I probably could. And, and we've got this attitude. And what that is is when you say, well, I don't think you have to be perfect. And, I, and I, I'm not saying we're perfect. I, I think it's okay for this. I think it's okay for that. And I don't think it's no big deal for that. What you're saying is, I just want to surrender to the enemy. I don't want what God, I don't want to fight the battles in my life of overcoming. I don't want to have to, to walk by faith and obedience to God's word so that I can possess what God has for me. I just want to cross over and put me up a little tent right here in the land. I'm happy with the enemy always oppressing me and, and trying to come against me and put fear in my life. And I'm worried about my marriage and I'm worried about my finances and, and I'm always worried that somebody's going to take and the devil's going to take away. But I don't want to deal with that. I just want to make peace. I want to make peace with the alcohol and peace with the pills and peace with the telephone and peace with the pornography and peace with all this other crap that the devil wants to keep you in oppression under instead of you overcoming it, being free and going, no, no, no. No, 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 I do have a bad temper. I did have a filthy mouth. I did have. But here's the thing. Say, are you liable to say something? Liable to if I get that bad temper going. I'm just being honest with you this morning, but here's what I didn't do. I didn't go, it's okay if you cuss. It's okay if you lose your temper. It's okay if you scream at your wife. It's okay if you, if you talk about people. It's okay if you gossip. It's okay if you backbite. It's okay. Lord doesn't, you know, I'm saved. I'm a Christian. For me, I went, no, no, that's not okay because that's robbing me of what God has for me and my family. And you know what I'm doing? I'm going to declare war on the floor. And I'm overcoming this. And there's been a many a thing that you and I both have overcome. Amen. Third thing, final, you got to face death, follow Jesus, face your battles, okay? And then you got to farm your land. <clears throat> Notice he said you got to sow your seed. Here's the thing, you don't reap a harvest unless you sow a seed. They could have went in and eat up everything that was already there, never sowed anything, and then starved to death. I'm, I'm, I'm describing a large number of people sitting here today. You know what you do? You enter into life. I was born again. Man, last Sunday, four months ago, Sunday, on a Monday, Tuesday, whatever, I trusted Jesus. I gave my life to him. What would you do? You started coming or you started listening on the radio or whatever, and you started feeding off of somebody else's seed, feeding off of somebody else's walk. And that's good. That's okay. You should do that as, as a young believer. That's called a baby in Christ. It's our responsibility. It's, it's other people's responsibility to disciple you, to feed you. But there comes a point where you quit eating off of my plate or eating off your mom and daddy's plate. And all of a sudden, what do you do? You start sowing seed. It's not just about going into the land. It's not just about going to heaven. God said, I've got greater rewards for you. But, but you'll, you'll have no harvest if you don't sow any seed. You will never stand. Think about this. And I've said it a million times. I know you get sick of it. But think about this, you will never have your first fruits. You will never have a bundle to wave before the Lord for his glory if you don't sow a seed. So what is that bundle you're talking about? I want to wave my children's salvation before the Lord goes, Lord, thank you. This is for your glory, but I got to sow the seed. This is my coworker. This is some of the people I didn't even know who they were. Lord, this is for your glory. What do you think the day of judgment's gonna be like? You think you're gonna die, stand before the Lord, him go, okay, good to go. You're just like everybody else. You better study your Bible. It's not gonna be like that at all. And listen to me. You ain't gonna feed off of David's fruit. When David stands before the Lord, I know David. I know he's led people to Jesus. He's got first fruits. He's gonna have a lot of people behind him. And I know a lot of you other are too. I just know David, so I'm gonna use him because his bald head stuck out to him this morning. But you know, what's it going to be like when you stand and you watch David and go, man, went to church with that brother, loved him. 
And David's got a crowd. Because here's the thing. David might win his kids to the Lord. David and Renee. David, you know, he might win somebody, a stranger. He might have won some of y'all. He might have so I know he's a school, he's an awesome Sunday school teacher. He sowed seed in your lives. But here's the thing. When all of a sudden you start in your generation and then the next generation, that goes to his credit also. So as he stands there with generations of people behind him because he sowed the seed of the gospel and the seed of God's word in their life, wouldn't it be awesome to hear the Lord go, well done, my good and faithful servant. I'm like, yeah, he's one of my best friends. I know him. But listen to me, just because he's one of my best friends and I know him, if I don't have no seed, I ain't getting nothing off his. What if the Lord gives him 10,000 acres to hunt for the rest of eternity and I have nothing? Y'all with me? Some of y'all think that's such so funny. Study your Bibles, okay? Now, here's what I want. I want to be able to step up before the Lord because here's the thing. For the person who goes, I cuss, I drink, I smoke, whatever. You know, I look at things, I watch ugly TV and all this, but I, but I love God. Is that what you're going to say on the day of judgment? Lord, I know I didn't go to church often. I know I didn't do anything as far as giving. I know I didn't do anything as far as getting involved. I know I didn't do anything as far as serving. I know, Lord, that I didn't ever witness to share the gospel with anybody, but God, I love you. Yeah, try that with your wife on anniversary. You know, I didn't get you a card. I didn't write you anything. I didn't buy anything, even though I had a million dollars in the bank. You know, I didn't think about you. I didn't call you. I didn't text you. I even actually forgot it was our anniversary, but baby, you know I love you. It ain't going to be long before you're going to be standing before a judge. Amen? <laughs> so why do we try to apply that to the Lord? You need to face death, follow Jesus, farm your land. You have your land to farm. Farm your land. So when this morning, as a believer, I'm talking to born-again believers. All of us here who are born-again believers would stand up and go, God's mercy. We just sang it. We just sang it to the Lord. Oh, you're so good. Your goodness is running after me. Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you, God. And it be, wouldn't it be awesome if you did stand before the Lord and he opened up the depths of hell and you stand there real close and, like, and the Lord went, I saved you from that and I gave, I, I've given you this. Wouldn't it be awesome for you to go, Lord, I just want to express my love to you because I, I, I tried to give my life. I tried to die to myself. I tried to tell people about you. I tried to teach my children your ways. I tried to be the the husband or the wife that you called me to be. I was invested in your church. I believed in those people. I I tried to encourage them, equip them, edify them, build them up. Lord, I tried to set an example around the people that I was working with. And the Lord's like, I know you did because I see the results. I see the fruit. I did that through you, you moron. Amen? It'd be better off than sitting there going, what in the world am I fixing to tell? Same thing you do with your wife. What in the world am I going to tell her? You know, I totally forgot. You know how gutless you feel at that moment? I do because that actually happened to me. <laughs> it was her birthday, all right? One anniversary, it was her birthday. Do you know I felt about that tall? First year I was married. I told you I was a sorry husband, all right? So anyhow, first year I was married, went through the whole day. And her birthday's right there by Jeremy's too. That's how stupid I was. And I remember that evening. All I was thinking about was myself. I was. And all I was thinking about was hunting. That was my God. In church every Sunday morning, on a stand every Sunday evening. And I was sitting there, her birthday's October the 8th, first week. I remember that night I got in from hunting. I was laying on the couch after she cooked me something, falling asleep, and finally she said, are you going to tell me happy birthday? No big deal. Do you know what I felt about that freaking tall? Because I do love her with all my heart. And I missed an opportunity to express that. You have a day coming that you're going to have an opportunity to express your love to Jesus. Don't feel that tall. If you're here this morning, you don't know Christ as your Savior. You look at that right there. And you tell me God doesn't love you and he doesn't offer you mercy. Why in the world would you not just want to humble yourself and go, God, I'm a sinner. I need mercy. Call upon the Lord this morning and let him save you. He wants to save your life and give you a good land. Will you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed and say a word of prayer?
<clears throat> Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you, God, for your mercy, for your goodness. God, thank you for your word. Lord, all the trouble that you went to to give us your word so that we could know how great you love us. All of the examples, Lord, for thousands of years, all of the people that was willing to be vessels that you worked through so that we could know a way that we could have life, Lord. I pray you forgive us for we take that for granted so much. And God, I pray that, that this would look like a cemetery today. Every person here would die. We'd die to ourselves. We'd die to our sin. We'd die to our glories. We'd die to our hopes and our dreams that revolve around us. We'd die to our abilities. And God, we'd find life. You, you said, Jesus, he that loses his life will find it. But he who finds life will lose it. I pray nobody loses today. And God, that you would save people today. And I praise your people, God. I thank you for mercy. And even though there might be people who here who have never sown one seed, thank you for mercy, God, because you give us another opportunity. And I pray we'd be faithful, and I pray we'd be farmers. And I pray, God, we'd take your word and your love, and we'd sow it this week, Lord, so that we can have a harvest to wave before you. In Jesus' name, amen.
appreciate your attention this morning. Um, we're not going to have services tonight. This will be our, our week off. Um, everything will be taken care of pretty much. If you want to know any way you can help for next Sunday, I think we have some ways, but a lot of it's already been taken care of, people working on that. Um, and if you need to sign up for that race, you need to sign up for the race. And uh, make a fool of yourself. If for nothing else, Jesus, you did it in school, do it for the Lord, all right? And let us all have a good laugh, and uh, we'll get together and enjoy it. If you want to sign up for the for the cooking competition or the dessert competition, look, lazy, you say, well, I can't cook a dessert. Go buy a cookie for Walmart, squirt some whipped cream on it, all right? <laughs> sign up with Miss Renee, and, and uh, I just want to enjoy this and uh, honor the Lord in it. Uh, other than that, that's all I can think of at this moment.